Right, how we doing tonight, guys? Hey, it's good to see you guys tonight. Hey, at a count of three, I want you guys to say, flip the script. One, two, three. Let's do it again. One, two, three. Come on, that's right. We're in a series called Flipped. And uh, let me say this, if you're here for the first time tonight, one of our guests, we are so glad you're here. Welcome to M12. We're in week number two of a series called Flipped. And what we're talking about is the fact that here's, here's what we know to be true. As middle school students, or as students in general, right, sometimes you guys get a bad rap. Sometimes people call you punks. How many of you guys have ever been called a punk? Or sometimes, you know... People make excuses for you, and they're like, ah, you know, they're just so young, and they don't get it yet, right? You guys kind of sometimes maybe feel insignificant or feel, you know, a little slighted, if you will. It's kind of like this story. There's a story of this grandmom, grandmom that um, comes out of Walmart a couple years ago. She comes out of Walmart, and she gets to her car, and there's like five teenagers around her car, surrounding her car. And so this grandmom, can you picture this? This grandmom reaches, reaches into her purse, pulls out a revolver, and, hold, and, and a little, like a real gun, grandmom in her purse, pulls out the revolver, points it at the kids, and is like, get away from my car, right? I can't do a granny voice. Maybe you guys could. There we go. Get away from my car. And so, of course, the kids, the teenagers, man, they're like freaked out, they they leave, they leave the scene, you know what I'm saying? And, uh, and then so the grandmom proceeds to get in the car. So she gets in the car, and when she puts her key into the ignition, she realizes, oh, wait, this, this is not my car. She has one of those crazy, like, senior moments, if you will, right? And so she just thought, right, because teenagers are teenagers and they do what they do, she just gave them a bad rap and thought, these kids are trying to vandalize my car, right? Which it wasn't even hers, it was probably theirs. And the reality is that's true for some of you. Sometimes you feel like you get a bad rap because of your age, uh, because of you know, how old you are, because of what grade you're in, whatever the case may be. But what we talked about last week and what I want to continue talking about this week is I want to talk about the fact that the Bible speaks completely different than that. So what the world and culture expects of you is not much. The, the expectations that the world and culture has of you is really not that much. But what the Bible says is something entirely different. And what we know is that all over the Scripture, all over the Bible, that God constantly uses young people. He constantly uses young people to be agents of change and to do something extraordinary. For example, we talked about this last week. David, uh, King David, when he cut the head off of Goliath, he was a, a young child, right? He, he didn't just kill him. He slayed his head. That was pretty cool. So, but he was a young child. Or when you think of it, you, the story of when Jesus feeds the 5,000, which it actually was probably about 20,000 because of you know, the men and their families and, and all that kind of stuff. But when Jesus fed those people, he actually took the lunch of a small young boy who believed that Jesus could do the unthinkable. Or like tonight, we're going to talk about this guy in the Bible named Daniel. And Daniel was this young kid that probably 10, 11, 12 years old held on to beliefs and stood up for what he believed to be true 
And these are people we're still talking about today, and they were young. And so the Bible uses young people all over the place. And here's what I want you to know about this series about tonight is that none of that has changed. That has not changed with culture or changed through the centuries. God still wants to use young people. And the truth is that all of you are capable of being agents of change, of being world changers. As a matter of fact, the Bible, and this is our passage for this, uh, this series in 1 Timothy 4. It says, don't let anyone look down on you because you are young, but set an example for all believers in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. So basically, no matter how old or how young you are, God wants to use you to set an example for people, for believers, in pretty much all areas of your life. And sometimes you may feel to yourself, you may feel like, well, gosh, I don't think God can use me to do that, but he can. And he will if you allow him to do that. So no matter how young you are, you have the ability to be a culture changer. You have the ability, middle school student, I want you to hear this, you have the, the ability to flip the script on what culture expects of you. And so last week, this is what we talked about. We talked about the fact that God wants you to set the example in speech. And so if you were not here last week, I would love to encourage you, go to the podcast, go to iTunes, search M12 Sun Central, listen to it. I think it'll help you. And tonight, I want to move on to the next thing that, that the Apostle Paul mentions in the verse, and that is conduct. Conduct is equal to behavior, is equal to attitude. And this conversation, to be honest with you, is probably not going to be super fun, but it is super necessary. Because what does the world expect of your attitude? What does the world expect of your behavior? Well, a lot kind of goes back to the story of the grandma. The world just expects you to mess around and fool around and do what's wrong. Definitely far from setting and being an example for other people. And so here's what I want to do from the get-go. I want to give you a thought that we're going to kind of talk about and unpack tonight. It's the bottom line. You want to write it down on the top of your outline? You can. But it's simply this, that behavior reveals belief. Behavior reveals belief. And really when you think of that, that statement is pretty easy to understand. Here's what I mean by that. In other words, your action, your attitude, your behavior toward God and toward others, toward God and toward others, reveals what you believe to be true about God and about others. Or you could flip it around and you could say, what you believe about God and what you believe about others will determine how you behave toward God and how you behave toward others. Behavior reveals belief. It's kind of like this. I am a massive Dallas Cowboys fan. America's team. And here's what I know about Dallas Cowboys, okay? They are, they are, they are the best team in the NFC East. Which means, 
which means that they might, I'm not going to claim they're going to the Super Bowl. I want to do that, but I'm not going to do that. But I'm going to say that they might, they might go to the Super Bowl. And here's the thing. My behavior reflects that I'm a Cowboys fan, right? Because I'm not ashamed to admit that I'm a Tony Romo fan. He's the man. Even though he's, even though he's proven nothing, he's proven nothing, but I still think he's a good quarterback. And, and I am not ashamed to admit that it was a catch that Des Bryant caught that ball. He caught the ball against the Green Bay Packers. If you don't know what I'm talking about, it doesn't really matter. What you do need to know is that my behavior reflects what I believe. I believe the Dallas Cowboys are the best team in the NFL. And so my behavior reflects that. And you guys may think it's the Falcons. No offense. Rise up, maybe, all right? But all I'm saying, all I'm saying is I want you to catch it, that your behavior, how you behave, and you cannot let go. You can't miss this message tonight. It's so simple when you think about it. It's so simple. You make it complicated, but it really is simple. Your behavior reveals what you believe. What you believe is determined by your behavior. For example, there is this middle school kid, okay? They're at an NBA basketball game, and this middle school kid and an usher at the basketball game get into this impromptu dance contest. It is awesome. And so what you will find is based on this middle schooler's behavior that he believes he can dance. So check, check, check it out. Oh, my goodness, that's awesome. That, that just happened at a basketball game. And that kid's in, like, the eighth grade. You know what I'm saying? So funny. But here's the best part. We just got to have a little fun to get started tonight. The best part of that story is that it didn't end there. They were invited, right, because of their impromptu dance party. We won't watch the whole video. But because of that, they were invited to the Jimmy Kimmel Live show to have another live dance party. Check it out. That's fun. That's fun, man. Jimmy Kimmel Live dance contest. Even tried to get an usher of the show, but he didn't do so hot. Did you see that? That probably would have been like me trying to do the, the worm on the, on the ground there. No, but that might be a lame example, but I want you to think about this. Your behavior reflects what you believe. The kid believed he could dance, so he behaved like it. And he really could, actually. He could dance. But your behavior reflects what, be, what you believe. And here's the problem that we know is true, is that for some of you, your behavior and your beliefs don't line up. Your behavior and your beliefs don't line up. And my hope for you is tonight, maybe this conversation would begin to help you to flip the script on maybe some behavior that you might need to change, some behavior that you might need to rethink. And so tonight, what I want to do is I want you to grab your Bible underneath you or in front of you, and I want to read a story 
that comes from the book of Daniel chapter 3. It's going to be on page 884. Page 884 in your Bible, and I'd love for all of you to get a Bible out. There should be one under your chair in front of you. Get your eyes on the text. It'll help you pay attention. And as you turn there, I want to catch us up to what's happening in the story. I want to give you some context. So there's four guys that we're going to talk about very briefly tonight. Daniel and then his crew, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And what happens is King Nebuchadnezzar is the king of Babylon. And King Nebuchadnezzar, this doesn't require you to talk. So King Nebuchadnezzar basically comes over to where Daniel's land is and pulls him and the three, these three guys because he wants them to come and be servants of, uh, of his. And so they, he takes them away from everything that they know and everything that they have ever experienced in life at about the age of 10 or 11 and removes them and takes them into the land of where King Nebuchadnezzar is. And while they're there, Daniel and his crew, they decide at a young age that even as it relates to diet and food, that they're going to stand strong for what they believe to be true about what they can eat and what they can't. And even in the midst of uh, being threatened, their life being threatened, they decided that they were going to stand tall for their beliefs about God. So fast forward, what happens is Daniel and his crew, they're given wisdom. They're given this favor from God, this ability, right, to just do the right thing, to see the right thing, to know what to do. And it fast forward to chapter 2, and Daniel is now given this ability to interpret dreams. So King Nebuchadnezzar has this dream. No one can interpret it. Daniel comes in, interprets it, and then the king gives Daniel he gives him control over the whole province of Babylon. And then Daniel takes his three guys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and gives them control over the province as well. And then we fast forward to chapter number three, which is where we're at tonight. And here's what happens. King Nebuchadnezzar gets this idea that he wants to build this 90-foot tall statue. And what he tells the people is that when you hear all the music begin to play of all these different instruments, what you have to do is you have to bow down to this statue. And in verse 6, if you want to read it with me, it says this. It says, And whoever does not fall down and worship will immediately be thrown into a blazing furnace. So if you choose not to bow down to this 90-foot-tall statue that King Nebuchadnezzar made, this little G God that he made, then you'll be thrown into this burning furnace, and it's not going to be a good day for you, right? And so fast forward to verse number 12. The Bible says it like this. It says, But there are some Jews whom you have set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who pay no attention to you, your majesty. They neither serve your gods nor worship the image of gold that you have set up. So here's what happens. These three guys refuse to bow down to the statue. They're told, if you don't bow down to the statue, you're going to get thrown into the blazing furnace. Well, they refuse to bow down to the statue. And then King Nebuchadnezzar gets enraged. And he decides, you know what? Maybe these guys don't think I'm being serious. So I'm going to call them to, to me, 
and I'm going to have a conversation with him. So in verse 15, it says this, when you hear the, the sound of all these instruments, I'm not even going to say them, if you are ready to fall down and worship the image that I made, very good. But if you do not worship, you will be thrown immediately into the blazing furnace. Then what God will be able to rescue you from my hand? So the king calls them and says, listen, I'm going to give you one more chance. Everybody else in this whole land of Babylon is bowing down to this statue, and you're, you three are the only ones that are not doing this. So let me give you another shot. And if you don't, you're going in the furnace. So what do these guys say? I love their response. It says this in verse 17. It says, um, if we are thrown into the blazing furnace, read this with me in the, in, the, in the Bible. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it. And he will deliver us from your hand. But even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your little g-gods or worship the image of gold that you have set up. So, of course, King Nebuchadnezzar gets really, really mad, and so mad that he decides, okay, you guys don't get the point, so here's what's going to happen. We're gonna, he, 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 he commands his men, I want you to go and heat the furnace seven times hotter than normal, and then I want you to throw these guys in. So the idea is that King Nebuchadnezzar wanted to see ash like right away. Can you imagine walking into a furnace and immediately you just collapse and turn into ash? That'd be kind of cool. But that is not what happened. What happened was in verse 25. Listen to this. Verse 25. Look at, look at it. Read it with me. He said, look, I see four men walking around in the fire, unbound and unharmed. And the fourth looks like a son of the gods. So what happened is that God delivered, that God was faithful to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They were thrown into this fire seven times hotter, and yet King Nebuchadnezzar looks into the furnace and sees four silhouettes, and they are unharmed, and they are unbound, and not a hair on their head was singed, and none of their clothing was harmed by the fire. God delivered. They said he would be faithful to save them, and that is exactly what happened. And I want you to see what happens to the king. In the Bible, in verse 28, this is, this is it. Read it with me. 28, then Nebuchadnezzar said, Praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and rescued his servants. They trusted in him and defied the king's command. And they were willing to give up their lives rather than serve or worship any god except their own. Therefore, I decree that the people of any nation or language who say anything against the god, big G, of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego will be cut into pieces and their houses be burned or turned into piles of rubble for no other God can save in this way. Your behavior determines your belief, or your behavior reveals your belief. What, we, what do we see in this story? What we see that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego behaved in such a way that they believed in who God was. 
that they believed that God would be faithful to save them. And even if he wasn't, that they would still not bow down to the little G God, this 90-foot statue, because of their belief in big G God. Because, see, when you look at their behavior, you can look at how they behaved and you can know what they believed. You can know that what they believed was not just fluff. They were willing to give their life for what they believed. And here's the question that I want to ask you tonight. I want to talk about it. What does your behavior toward God and toward others reveal about you? What does your behavior reveal about what you believe? Because what I would say is that the way you behave and what you believe do not line up a lot of the time, in particular in this room. And so here's what I think Paul would tell us, here's what I want to challenge and ask of all of us tonight. There's two things that I want to talk about very quickly, simply this. One, this is what God would tell us to do. One, honor God, and two, honor others. Honor God, honor others. I want you to write it down in your outline. One, honor God, and two, honor others. Well, first, what does it mean to honor God. Well, it means exactly what it says. It means that in our behavior, we show God honor. Now, here's what we know to be true, is that some of you in this room tonight, you don't have a relationship with God. And maybe you're coming here each week because you're hanging out with your friends, you're enjoying Nine Square or basketball, or you just like to hang and have fun. And listen, man, we're so glad you're here. We're pumped you're here. There, there is not a better place for you on a Wednesday night in middle, school, in middle school than right here in this place. And we encourage you to keep coming, keep checking things out, keep learning more about who Jesus is. And for some of you, you do have a relationship with God. You do call yourself a Christian, and you do try to follow God's command for your life. And so whether you have a relationship with God or whether you don't have a relationship with God, it is still necessary to show him honor in your behavior. So what does that look like? Well, for those of you that would say that you do have a relationship with God, honoring God is simple. It's putting him first. It's having him at the core of your life. It's making your relationship with him the single most important relationship that you have Because he is most important, and he deserves to be most important. As a matter of fact, the Bible says it like this, love the Lord your God, all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. So with every part of your life, you love God, you honor God if you're a Christian. Now for both types of people in the room, whether you're a Christian or you're not a Christian, I want to look at this practically. And I'd love for you to write this down. It's not going to come on the screen, but I'd love for you to write it down because I think it'll help you out. What does it look like to honor God from a practical standpoint? I think it's three things. I think, number one, it is honoring his house. I want you guys to look around right now. Where we're at right now is God's house. 
This is the church. So what does it look like to honor God's house? Well, one thing is that you clean up after yourself. Is that you pick up the trash that you bring into the room. That you don't leave Starbucks cups everywhere and all that good stuff. Because here's the deal. I'm not a clean freak and I don't like to clean. And I definitely don't like to clean after you. And so treating God's house with respect and with honor. And I remember last year there were two guys. I want to brag on them a little bit. It was Jaden Myers and Michael Champa. And they would stay after every single Wednesday night service. And they would walk through this room and pick up trash. Why did they do that, though? Yeah, give it up for them. Let me tell you why. Let me tell you why. Because they understood what it means to honor God. You honor his house. You respect his house. You clean up after yourself. You don't leave your stuff in here. It's a really easy way to understand. Secondly, is I would say honoring God means that you honor the leaders that are in this ministry. Leaders, will you stand right where you're at? If you're a leader, just stand right where you're at. All right. All right, cool, cool, cool. All right, you can sit down. But let me, let me talk about this for a second, really quick. Honoring leaders is not just giving them an applause. Honoring the leaders in this ministry is listening to what they have to say, students. The truth is, I bet that you believe that the leaders in this room really care about you. I bet that you believe that the leaders in this room want what's best for you. That the leaders in this room show up each week because they love you, because they want to serve you and teach you the Bible and teach you more about God. But you know what's true is that sometimes your behavior does not reveal that belief. The reality is that sometimes you treat these leaders that just stood up for you or stood up in this room is you treat them with disrespect. And you do not honor them. And what the Bible says is that when we honor authority, in turn, we're actually honoring God. When we honor the authorities in our life, we're honoring God because God is the one that places every authority over your life. And so when you're honoring your small group leader in your small group, or when you're honoring what an adult asks you to do in this room, if they tell you to stop talking or whatever, then you're actually honoring God. And the third thing is that you would honor his presence. That you would honor the presence of God. In this room, in this church, with your life. Because students, what we're doing in this ministry and in this church for God, it really does matter. And I want you to hear me out. When you come into this room, or when you go into your small group, and you see that when we have a time of worship through song or time of worship through teaching, and you look at that as your opportunity to have conversations with the people around you, what that reveals about your behavior is that you're more important than God is. And I heard it tonight. I could hardly sing the last song because all I could hear was talking. 
And in essence, what you're communicating to God, what you're communicating to the big G God, the Savior of the world, whether you are a believer and you follow him or whether you do not, is that you are saying, hey, God, I'm more important than you are. But I bet if I were sitting at a coffee table, you and I, and we were drinking a vanilla frappuccino, right? I bet that if I asked you the question and I said, hey, man, just a random question. Who do you think is more important? You think you're more important? You think God's more important? Pretty sure 110% of you would say God. So the challenge is to act like it, is to behave like it. See, what the world and culture would expect of you is that you would come into this room and kind of just run the room how you want. You would just kind of talk whenever you feel like it, not really care what we're trying to accomplish, not really trying to connect with God or care about the God we're singing to or the God we're singing about. That's what the world would expect. But man, I would encourage you to flip the script. And that when you come into this room or when you go into your small group, that you'd be, you'd honor God. You'd honor God in your behavior. You'd honor God in your conduct. You'd honor God in your attitude. And you would show him that you respect him based on the way that you act. This is not an easy conversation, but it is a necessary conversation. And whether you like it or not, when you're talking When something on stage is happening, that's what you're communicating to God, is that he's really not that important, and that you're more important than he is. But I know that's not what you think, and I know what you believe is that he is the most important. The second thing is that you would honor others. The Bible says it like this, love your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself. Treat other people the way you would want to be treated, with respect, with honor, with love. We already talked about honoring leaders and what that looks like. What does it look like to honor others? Well, it means that you respect the people in this room that want to learn and that want to worship God, that you don't ruin that for them. Because when you're so busy having a conversation or fooling around and goofing off, then it distracts the people in this room that actually want to connect with God and actually want to learn and honor and grow in their relationship with Him. And hear me out tonight. If you're seeking God, if you're not sure about God, if you're coming here and you're not a believer, we love that you come here. But you can still honor God in your behavior. You can still behave in a way that you honor God. So students, can you imagine, can you imagine what would happen if you took God's words to heart tonight? If you looked at the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and you could see in their life that their behavior reflected truly what they believed, and that you started to live your life so that your behavior reflected what you believe. I tell you, it would probably flip the script on the culture we live in, the world we live in. This room right here 
This room, the way we encounter God, the way that we chase after God would change. It would change drastically if you allowed your behavior to reveal what you believed. And so here's the challenge of tonight, is that when you come to church, that you would honor God and that you would honor others. Pray with me. God, thanks so much for your word, the power that's in your word, the power that comes through the story, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And I pray for these students. I pray especially in the area of honoring you, God, and honoring others, that you would help them. This is not an easy thing to do. Culture expects for us to probably dishonor. God, I pray that you would begin a work in this room that would change the culture of this ministry, of our worship to you, because you deserve it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.